Now you can confirm or deny this if you want, but is it true? I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be telling tales out of school, but is it true that the original name for the website in this podcast was ESOS coin purse? This is the Abraham's wallet podcast. Abraham's wallet spans the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Buenos dias, amigos. Welcome to the Abraham's Wallet Podcast. This is Mark, and this week I am excited to bring you a conversation with my buddy Jeff Davenport. Jeff just wrote a book called I Am a Field. You can go to the show notes on this episode and get links to that book. You can get a link to Jeff's personal website. And if you look hard enough, I might even sneak a link in there to Jeff's Uh, multi-decade-old comedy blog that I so enjoyed that we talk about here. So Jeff and I kind of shoot the breeze here for a few minutes, and I wanted you to get to know the guy because he's hilarious. He's a very gifted speaker. That's what he does for a living, is help other people learn to speak and present well. And then we dig into the meat on one particular chapter in his book. So I think Jeff has a lot of insight As he says, he comes at things from a totally different perspective than what you might hear Stephen or I coming at at problems from. So I think he's a valuable addition to the podcast, and hopefully we can get Jeff to someday write us up some articles on the blog and maybe even appear on future episodes. So I hope you like this one. Without further ado, I give you Jeff Davenport. I thought to get started today, we might just get in your own words, which I know will be entertaining because you're a professional speaker, uh, a little, who is Jeff Davenport? Could you introduce us to the man? Maybe I'll do that in the third person. How'd that be? (laughs) Mark, first off, I'm happy to be here casting a pod with you. This is exciting for me. I love... Abraham's Wallet. I'm a big fan of Abraham's Wallets. I've been following it since the get-go. Now you can confirm or deny this if you want, but is it true? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to be telling tales out of school. But is it true that the original name for the website in this podcast was ESOS Coin Purse? I heard that at one point, and I heard that it was taken, and so you were stuck with Abraham's Wallet. Is that well? True? It was. We. It was decided that that was just a little too testicular for the target audience, so Good we point. went with Abraham's wallet. But well, it it was that or Onan's money belt. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, hey, Mark. Welcome to the Esau's Coin Purse podcast. <laughs> the first, Even better, the very first one. Well, who is Jeff Davenport? My word. Uh, well, my name is Jeff Davenport. That's, that's for starters. It was given to me a long time ago and it stuck. And I live in Colorado with my beautiful wife and my two little girls who are seven and five. And my life is a pretty fun one, I'd say. I, I, my vocation, my job at this point is I am a speaker coach, meaning I work with executives and thought leaders and business people and speakers of all stripes to help them talk pretty, to help them communicate their ideas more clearly and effectively. And so I talk with them about content that they communicate as well as delivery. Um, uh, uh, To borrow a phrase from our pal Steve Manuel, who I think 
you know, I, I'm pretty sure he makes you call him Mr. Manual, but I'll call him Steve for today. Uh, my resume is a dog's breakfast. It's all over the place. I, and even the work that I continue today to do today is all over the place. Uh, like I said, I'm a speaker coach. I also still preach at a church about uh, probably once a month. I do a few services over there. I'm doing it this coming weekend. Uh, I wrote a book and I still dabble in some screenwriting along the way. So I, I, got, a, I got a bunch of little things going on. Um, that's that's kind of what, what work life looks like for me. I've been a Jesus follower since I was uh, teeny tiny. My parents always had me in the church house and, you know, I think I, I gave my life to Jesus at five, but it wasn't until uh, right after high school into college that I got a good sense of God's grace. And that really changed everything for me. They talk about the good news. And before that, I always kind of thought, oh, I guess it's good news. And then I really realized, oh, no, no, this is good news. And ever since, it's been a trajectory of friendship with God, which has been fun and great. And, you know, it's not always... It's not always a daisy farm, but it's been a lot of, a lot of good stuff. And uh, all along the way, I've had good people like Mr. Mark Parrott, Mr. Stephen Manuel, and other people to um, keep me on track and grow me into the man I'm meant to be. Is that, is that a good thumbnail? Yeah, I, I have a couple big questions for you to fill in some gaps. What, um, what city, what American city do you live in with your, with your family? I live in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, which is a uh, suburb just south of Denver. Um, it's beautiful here. We get 300 days of sun and uh, uh, 365 days of mountains. We should really put that on the sign coming into town. I just made it up. Yeah, well, I always say that because we thought we thought for sure that the Parrot family would end up in Denver. Um, and it's a great place if you want to enjoy beautiful weather and be able to see the mountains. But if you want to ever go to the mountains, you should live in Salt Lake City because, you know, they're, they're about a half mile from my house and about a four-hour drive from yours. But you can, I, def- I you can definitely see them. I can't disagree with that. We, where we moved down to, oh, this is maybe belaboring the point, but where we moved down to in Denver from up north in Denver, uh, we're a heck of a lot closer now. So it feels like yeah. you can reach out and touch them, although you can't by law, I think. Well, we had the privilege of staying with you guys this summer, my daughter and I, as we were driving down to Arkansas. And uh, it's a beautiful place. So I am a big fan of your whole family and... I have been a fan of yours since I think you were living with a bunch of aspiring screenwriters in Hollywood trying to, to be the next, uh, the next big thing in screenwriting. Is that true? It, it, well, we were trying something. We, I, I, grew, I went to college in Texas, and after college in Texas, I moved out to Los Angeles to go to grad school, uh, to go to film school in Los Angeles to study screenwriting, and I did that and then ended up living in Los Angeles for a low about eight years. And I, I remember very distinctly, I, I was, I'm not, I'm not a big city guy, and the, the hustle and bustle and all that, just not my bag. And I remember the day that uh, my sister was with me, we were driving across the country from Texas, and we, we passed into California, and we, we, we passed the city limits for Los Angeles, and something in me just sunk. And I remember that feeling. And every day after that, I asked God, can I leave yet? And literally, it took uh, eight years for me to get out of there. But I was there. Uh, I, I went to grad school for screenwriting and then just worked in the, um, you know, the, the 
the underwear world of of screenwriting where I was a I was a uh, uh, receptionist at a production company answering phone calls just doing all the odd jobs that normal people do uh, while you're schlepping your scripts around going will you read this what do you think and someone goes well so and so's interested in making your movie and you get all hot and bothered and really excited and then you realize that person either a hasn't read it or b you know, passed away six years ago. And so it was a lot of broken dreams and a lot of that kind of thing. But we tried, and me and my two buddies, we tried really hard. And uh, it's funny bringing that up. I look back at that time with some amount of fondness, you know, as anyone does in their 20s, and you go, oh, that was really fun and cool and exciting. But also with a lot of regrets. Um, and maybe that's something that happens with maturity. Um, and maybe it's not always healthy regrets, but I, I kind of look back at that season and go, gosh, I wish I would have worked a little harder. I wish I would have had the work ethic that God's grown in me now at this age. I wish I would have had it then. And I wonder how things would have played out differently. Uh, that said, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to complain about how things have turned out for me. Um, but yeah, that time was us trying to, trying to do that. And then, and then lo and behold, after, after I left Los Angeles, I'm like, well, I guess I'm done screenwriting and went into full-time ministry, which is a dreadful term that no one should ever use, especially on a podcast. Um, uh, it was only then that through our pal Stephen and, and some other guys that I ended up getting some screen plays uh, produced uh, for television. They were, they were put on the TV. Yes, we, we sat as a family and watched the, the world premiere of you guys' first screenplay. So mm-hmm. I definitely remember that. I would say... The thing you're describing is familiar. I think it's probably familiar to any man who has lived more than 30 years. This idea of, uh, man, if I could have applied myself back then, (laughs) I mean, everything from high school wrestling to squandering my days in college, you know, sneaking away and riding my bike instead of uh, taking advantage of, of a decent university education. I, uh, I feel that about so much. So that kind of resonates with me. One thing I'll say is that, and I threatened this before we started recording. And so this is the point at which I'm going to do it, but, uh, your time in, in LA was not all for naught because you produced maybe my favorite piece of comedic literature that's ever graced the the planet earth in the uh, team blog known as third chair trombone, which I think you can still dig up if you would search hard on the Google. Okay. <laughs> so get ready for the traffic wave that the yeah. Abraham's wallet podcast is about to send to your, uh, your mothballed former comedy blog. Well, let's, let's up level that embarrassing factoid to maybe, maybe some sort of moral lesson here around uh, around that time where I thought, gosh, I wished I was working harder on things. There were certain things that, so me and my buddies, I'll, I'll bring them in, Tim and, Tim and Robert, two of the funniest humans you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, we all wanted to write and we wanted to get better at writing and nobody was paying us to do this. So we decided, well, gosh, what if we set up some silly little website and we just wrote for each other and we, we would go throw out assignments, write something about this, write something about this. And there was a lot to that. Um, I can't say that I'm completely proud of all the stuff on there. And I don't think any of the guys who wrote stuff on there were completely proud of it. But it was it was a pretty good tool to keep um, to sharpen ourselves and to grow and grow as writers. And 
I don't know. I, I, there are elements of that that I kind of wish I still had today. I would like to grow as a writer, but I don't necessarily have the wherewithal time or discipline to go, okay, I'm going to write something daily for a blog or this, that, and the other. I mean, I, I do some form of that, but I don't know. I, I look back at that time and think, gosh, God was, there was some discipline there. And I'm always hesitant to use the word discipline. It sounds so heavy and hard, but I think that's one, a big theme that's emerged in my life over time is if you want to grow, uh, you do small things along the way. And for us, those were small things that I think added up over time for us, uh, hopefully developing us as, as writers. Um, you know, it's not like we're on, you know, we didn't get jobs on Bob Hope's show after that or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually, I was on somebody else's podcast last week. And the thing that I brought to to bear there was, even with Abraham's wallet, it started out because Stephen and I said, hey, we think we could write some stuff that would be interesting to our 10 friends. And that's it. That's all we really thought was coming of it. Uh, and exactly what you said, it would be an opportunity to kind of do some, some honing of the blade to get our own thoughts in order. Um, and out of that came a total massive career change for me, for you know, the, so I think that there's just authenticity that comes with doing something because you think it would be useful to your friends. Those tend to be eventually your customers, whether you're peddling comedy or financial advice. So I think that's good advice. Um, I want to dig in. So I think we'll kind of talk about your story and your family a little more because this book that you've just written, it, it made me feel as I read it, like I was sitting there with your family, which I've done. So I have an advantage over your, your standard reader. I, I know these people, but um, you really brought them into it. So maybe just give me a quick high level overview of this book you just wrote. And then I've got some questions on a specific chapter that I'd love to dig into here on this, this very podcast that we're recording right now. You got it. Uh, this book was birthed a long time ago to some degree. I, I used to be a college, I, I used to work with college students. I, would, I, I did a weekly Bible teaching gathering thing for a few hundred uh, Pepperdine students out in Malibu, California while I lived in Los Angeles. And I gave a talk one night uh, that uh, seemed to stick with people and I walked away going, huh, that seemed to not only stick with them and have some sort of impact on them, but it really had an impact on myself, which sounds uh, arrogant and uh, prideful, but I'm not above it. And it, it was really because it was, it was, for me, I'm attracted to metaphors. Anything that can help me get a sense of what God might be doing or what, what's going on in my life, uh, some sort of metaphor around that, that helps me out. And the metaphor uh, comes out of 1 Corinthians, where Paul says to some Jesus followers in Corinth, he says, you are God's field. Now, I'm no farmer. I don't have much of an agricultural background, but I got that to some degree. And I understand as I read that, I thought, my word, what if I saw my life as like a field and God was like a farmer and he was intentional about growing things in my life. And that meant removing obstacles, obstructions, things that might get in the way of growth or communicating his truths to me, uh, the seed, planting the seed in me that says, Hey, this is what I'd like for you. Or even me looking at a, you know, as a field, looking at a farmer going, how about you grow corn? Like I have, I could have possibly have input into what God grows in my life. And then the waiting and the process of, of the whole thing. And so uh, from that talk, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Bob Clickgard, who's uh, 
the smartest human that I've ever known, uh, maybe humanity has ever known, uh, just a kind, thoughtful, but very, very intelligent human who had written a number of books himself. Uh, and by the way, he's the world's leading expert on governmental corruption. How cool is that? My, my business card is not that cool. This is, a, this is a hot moment for his line of work then, huh? Yeah. Well, the guy stays busy. We'll say that. And he said, hey, why don't you write a book? And I thought, well, no, only like four people in the world write a book. Like that's not something I could do. And he said, no, nah, I really think you should. And so it took a long time, but I eventually wrote the book and eventually found a publisher, which was fantastic, a big leg up. And then that publisher has now released it into the wild through you know, all sorts of uh, places where you can order it. And I'm sitting there with uh, an actual book in my hot little hands. And the idea of the book is just trying to help people understand uh, what God might be doing in their life through the, through the lens of uh, this farmer and field metaphor. It's called, I am a field. And so I'm going to sing a track from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We'll cut to the Jeff singing the book at the end oh, of the good. episode, but sure. um, I am a field is the name of the book, like you said. And let me just read first Corinthians three, nine. I'm going to back up and read three, eight through 10. And then I want to ask you some specific questions about one of the chapters. So one of the I chapters think, in first Corinthians, cause this is like a Bible drill. I may not be really good at it. Well, you came from, from Bible belt, Texas. So you should probably be ready for Bible drill, but all right, here we go. First Corinthians three, eight says he who plants and he who waters are one in purpose and each will be rewarded according to his own labor for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it, but each one must be careful how he builds. So some cool scripture there. Uh, and that, that is the, the root of this, the talk that became the book, right? Yes, that's exactly right. There was one chapter in your book, Jeff, that um, I kind of wanted to dig into. And in chapter seven... You covered a lot of ground, but there was a piece that stuck out to me at the end of the chapter. There was kind of a subheading, and I think it was Mickles and Muckles. Is that right? That's right. Um, do you want to summarize what Mickles and Muckles are real quick? Sure. I, I could quiz you on it, but yeah, I guess I will. Uh, I, I learned this odd little phrase a number of years ago. It was actually when I was researching a script about... Uh, Oh, about some guys out doing some justice in the world. Anyway, irrelevant, but, he, uh, but I found this phrase and I really liked it. It's, a, it's a, for apparently a Scottish phrase and it says, many a mickle makes a muckle. And let me pause here. If anyone starts to look this up, you'll realize there's a bit of a canard with this, with this phrase. Um, it, it's, it's evolved over time to where it, it's a bit nonsensical if you took it literally. But what it's supposed to mean is a mickle is a very, very small thing. And a muckle is supposedly a very large thing. And so uh, many a mickle makes a muckle. Uh, many, a lot, of, a lot of small things add up to something big. Um, I, I always tell this story. It's not in the book, but, and it's not exactly a riveting story. But my, when my sister was in college, she was walking through the grocery store, dropped a penny, and uh, an old man picked it up and said to my, my sister, a hundred of these makes a dollar. And that's really stuck with me, you know, uh, you know, this is sort of a financial podcast, so there's some financial advice right there. But that God, if, if God's wanting to do big things in our lives, and I think we should at least agree that God wants to do big things in our lives, transformational type things. We um, agree with that. 
Okay, good. I, and I would say that Abraham's Wallet, both podcast and blog, uh, are point to this, that there are transformational things that God wants to do in the lives of men. Um, in it could be in how they see their money. That's something y'all obviously come back to over and over again. It's how they see their family. It's how they see their role, um, whether that's in raising children, in being a husband, in being a friend, uh, in being a spiritual leader. Those are big, giant transformations. And I, I was thinking about this earlier today. Let's, let's say there's kind of two types of guys who, who hear something like that. There's the type of guys who go, yeah, let's go. I'm changing. It's all going to be different. Oh, here we go. And they just charge up the mountain. And God bless them. Maybe, maybe Mark, you and Mr. Manuel are a little like that. I don't know that I'm, I'm wired like that. I get a little more intimidated around big transformational processes. When, when I feel, when I sense God wants to do something big, I, I don't feel like, uh, you know, a linebacker clapping his hands in a huddle. I feel more like, oh, I, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. And I get intimidated. And then I'm kind of going off here. But with that intimidation comes a lot of shame. I know y'all have talked about shame quite a bit on the pod and the blah. But it's really powerful stuff. By the way, quick shout out if anybody hasn't read or, or listened to the Shame podcast. Those are really, really good ones. Um, but that's, that's something that, that overtakes me. And I think, oh my gosh, I should be there by now. I should already be, and I don't know how to accomplish. Uh, and I start to freak out. And when I learned this concept of mickles and muckles, uh, it helped me out a little. It's like God, Chip and Dan Heath, who are a couple of Stanford fellows who've written a couple of great books, one of them being Switch, how to help people change when change is difficult. They talk about shrinking the change. And for me, I just need the change shrinked, uh, shrunk. I, I need it to be smaller. I need it to be in bite-sized pieces. And I think that's how God, the farmer works in my life is he doesn't go, all right, uh, be a spiritual leader, uh, check in on you in six weeks. Or, um, hey, uh, be a more loving husband who uh, knows how to guide your wife. Uh, uh, come back in a year and we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think God's a little more like, this is where we're headed. That's the muckle. Now here's some mickles along the way. And those mickles can be a challenge in and of themselves. But I think those bite-sized things for me have helped me out tremendously. It always reminds me of this passage in, in Zechariah. Uh, the, you know, God is talking to the Israelites and saying, look, I know Jerusalem has been destroyed. Y'all are dispersed and the walls are down and the temple's down. But hey, we're going to redo all that, guys. We're going to rebuild Jerusalem. It's going to be great. Yay! We're going to rebuild the temple. Yay! And everybody's super jazzed and excited and geeked up. And then he just warns everybody. He says, hey, but just be careful. Um, it says Zechariah, I think it's 410. He says, who despises the day of small things? And that's actually something we have up in our, in our little eating area in our kitchen for our family to look at. Uh, what it means is you can't want the big thing and despise the day of doing the small things. Um, you can't go, I want a giant temple, yay, but not carry a brick, you know? And so we can't, as men, want to be household leaders and transformational guys, you know, big change people, and then go, oh, but I really don't want to do that one small thing. I think God gives us the small things as a gift to build up to the big things. Are there callers, Mark? Do people call in? Is that what happens? <laughs> well, we might have a caller. There's there's rumors that there's one caller. I think his name's Gabe that might call in later. But oh, right, for sure. the most part, no. Um, have, have your hand on the beeper. <laughs> so a little third chair trombone humor for you guys. Um, sure. I think that 
what you're saying, it's so in line with these, the reason that this particular passage stuck out to me from the book, it's so in line with the, the wisdom that's kind of, it's not crazy insight. It's you read it and you go, this is pretty standard stuff, but this line of thinking is just blowing people up across the board, whether you listen to Jordan Peterson right now telling guys to make their bed, or if you listen to Jocko Willink, if that's your flavor, you know, he's big on, you know, being motivated. That's kind of the big, let's take the hill. And then if that's all you got, you run out of gas uh, an eighth of the way up the hill. Um, What's his name? Oh, no. Jeff, you, you don't listen to Jocko? What's the, uh, Jocko what? Jocko Willink. He's a Navy SEAL who has a podcast and they, they talk like this the whole time. And it's, his, uh, name, his name sounds like he's a guy from Mario Kart. He is, you know, my, my compadre Steven is not a fan, uh, but man, I am. So All right. you, you can take it or leave it. Um, a lot of our listeners will, will listen to one of these types of guys. Um, but I think my point is, in the secular world, there's this fire catching that's, that's based around men teaching other men the thing that you're saying, which is you need to do the small thing. So um, when you think about in your life, the, the muckles, mm. do you usually look back and go, yeah, I caught the vision for the big thing and then I broke it down into the small things? Or uh, do you find it? it's more like I started doing just the little thing in front of me and then I looked back and said, whoa, look where I got. I think the answer is yes. Uh, and I think that's how God operates. I think God operates both ways. And I think all you have to do is look at how you parent a child and see that both ways are, are uh, they're situation specific. Um, but I think both are, are, are true are useful. Sometimes I'll look at my girls and go, Hey, I want you to grow into this kind of person. We're going to focus on this. So let's start doing these little things along the way. And then they grow up into that kind of person. And sometimes I don't necessarily, they may not necessarily know what that grand vision is, but after time they look back and go, Holy cow, I can write about it. Holy cow. This is how, Oh, wow. That, that happened. So I'd say, um, I'd say both have happened for me. I, 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 I do consistently come back to this, passage though. And I kind of try to hold God to it um, where, where Jesus looks at his buddies and he says, look, I don't call you slaves anymore. I call you friends because slaves just don't know what the master's doing. And so I lean in a little more lately with God and say, Hey, I'd like to know what you're trying to grow in me. W- would you reveal that to me? And then from that, uh, start to identify those mickles along the way. I can't say that's 100% true, to be honest. I think there's times God's growing things in me, and I, I only afterwards look back and go, holy cow, that's a muckle. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it falls into both categories. Uh, for me, one that jumps out is we, when, we moved to, when we moved to Denver from Los Angeles, we were newlyweds, and we lived uh, up north of Denver in a, in a small little townhouse that was perfect for us when we, when we first uh, started our marriage together. We we started marriage and life in Colorado together all at the same time. And it was great. We loved this little place. Um, but we we were living, we lived there for, I think, eight or nine years. And boy, we had a baby. And then we had a second baby and we had outgrown it. And it felt like, oh my gosh, is this what God wants? Is us crammed into this little place? And, you know, you you, you waffle back and forth between 
oh, no, we're content. And then uh, are we not content? Are we hoping for more? It's that sticky, you know, sticky spiritual morass where you're not sure if you're, if you're wanting what God wants or if you're just frustrated. But eventually it started feeling like God going, we, we can get you out of here. Maybe we can move to somewhere a little more bigger, a little more comfortable in, in a spot that you actually like. But I'm looking at that going, you know, well, that's not going to happen. I don't make enough money. Um, da, 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 da. There's all these financial reasons and we can't get our act together and that's never going to happen. And all I saw was this giant muckle. Uh, it's, it's, it would be like looking at the mountain and just saying, well, I got to get to the top of that mountain. I don't even know how to get there. And what was great was, uh, I, I say this in the book a number of times, but it's worth, it's worth hitting again. My wife is just the world's greatest encourager. Um, she's, she lettered in it in high school and I think may have majored in it in college. Um, she's just really great at encouraging and, being, and trying to stay positive in the midst of all of that. And she and I together started to find those mickles whether it was saving, a lot of it was saving money in small ways. It wasn't, let's save $10,000. Oh, great. We won't buy the car this week. Um, uh, let's not buy five watches. Uh, it wasn't that. We, we didn't have much margin to begin with. Uh, but it was small little things that we started shaving the edges here, shaving the edges here, shaving the edges here. And eventually, we got to a point where she's running the numbers and she's going, I think this is feasible. I think we can get some money out of this house and we've saved up enough. I think we have a down payment on something bigger. And I remember when she told me that, I thought, there's no way. There's no way. I don't know. How did that happen? And then you go, well, you've made all these decisions along the way that have led to this good, great moment. And so I look back at that and I, I still scratch my head and go, I don't know how the math worked out on that. But I think God, God says, yeah, you got the muckle because you put in the mickles. Let, let me say here, I think it's probably important to say here, I, I think we all need to uh, gag on any sort of, uh, this is all about self and about your self-discipline um, and making it happen and this, that, and the other. There's, there's an element of that, but obviously God is in all of this. And so I, I'd be remiss if this all sounded like, so try harder, man. You can do it. I, I know you can get there. I think that kind of pulls God out of the equation, and, and that's not, it's not altogether healthy. Um, I, I know that we, a lot of your listeners are, a lot of your listeners are like me, where, you know, you, you, and, you and Mr. Manuel talk a lot about Sabbath and implementing a Sabbath in your house, and I, I bet a lot of these listeners or, or readers of the blog, when you first hear that concept feel slash felt the way I did when, when I first heard that concept and thought that sounds wacky and weird and we can't do that. I don't know how in the world that would happen. That just can't happen. And that was a muckle for me. Like, Oh, we'll implement Sabbath in the house. And all I thought was the end, like the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is we unplug the electricity. Uh, we drape a giant black shroud over our house. Um, we wear yarmulkes, even the dog, and we don't do anything and, uh, you know, that it's this extreme level. Of, I mean, those are all nonsense about Sabbath, but this extreme level of this. And I think God hears us going, but I can't do all that. And I think God just kind of sits there going, are you done? Yeah, I think I'm done. Okay, let's just do this one little thing. All I want you to do is, how about this? How about you light a candle at five o'clock on Friday? But what about all the other stuff? Just, just light a candle on Friday. Just, just do that. Just see, see what happens. Okay, so we light a candle on Friday at five, and the kids are going, Why are we lighting a candle? And daddy's thinking, I'm not quite sure. Well, because we're going to honor the Sabbath with this candle. So we do the little candle thing. And then a couple weeks later, like, you know what? Let's, let's, let's stop checking email. 
that night. Okay. Okay. We'll stop. Okay. Well, I'd like to do, well, we're not going to check. Okay. So to stop that. And then the next day, what if we, what if in the morning the girls jumped into bed with us when they woke up and we listened to a worship song. And over time, we just added these little mickle, just small little things that eventually now we got a Sabbath going in our house. And is it the end all be all Sabbath? Are we, you know, speaking Hebrew and no, no, we're not doing that. I know it will continue on this trajectory, but for now, you know, we're just adding little mickles along the way. And I think that's been really effective for us. Yeah, Are you still there, Mark? Did you hang up? Uh, I did, but I, I got back <laughs> on in time. So, uh, no, I think that's exactly what I say. I'm glad you brought up Sabbath because every time I explain this, you know, we've had, we just, uh, we just got back from our annual goals summit, Amelia and I did, and we were looking back on the year and we had some really meaningful, this was kind of a, a year in which the Parrot family in some ways got dropped into a blender. Um, <laughs> but, but we had some really awesome encouragements from people, uh, specifically with regard to Sabbath, I would say, where uh, more than a few families kind of told us, you know, when you invited us over for Sabbath, that sound, that was super meaningful. And even our kids seemed to get it. Um, and I thought, wow, that's awesome. But then I heard, and I don't think we could ever pull off something like that. So it's kind of what you're saying. And that's how I feel when I, you know, travel over to Cincinnati and sit down with Jeremy Pryor or sit down with Justin Wolfenberg and listen to them talk about their Sabbath. Cause it's like, you know, 10 X what we're doing. And mm -hmm. so anytime I talk about Sabbath now with anybody, I say, start out with whatever your family's equivalent of ordering pizza and <laughs> trying, trying not to tick off all the items on your to-do list on Saturday. Like see if you could do that and see if it gives you any life um, and see if you feel a little pain too. Like that was shocking to me is when we started in on it, Amelia was like, man, we, this sucks. Like it's not life-giving. It's kind of unpleasant. And so we, we had to get through that phase of it and say, well, which of the suck things are healthy for us and which of them are because we're doing it in a way that we shouldn't be. Hmm. Um, but easing into it so that exactly what you said, you know, a month or two later, I don't think we got to anything beyond pizza and no to-do list for, for several months, but you know, then it was adding in one element. Maybe let's invite some, some people over and let's, you know, take the next step. Uh, and now I, I don't think my kids are, are fibbing to me when they tell me this is the number one thing they look forward to in our week as a family is Shabbat. Um, and I think it's not just the, the bejeweled yarmulkes that we give them for that one night. I think it's lots they of are They are beautiful though. And the fact that you bejeweled them yourself, Mark, is really what says you honor the Lord. <laughs> I, there's a, on the side of, on a side of freight ships, they have this thing called the Plimsoll line. It's this interesting little design. It's a circle with these lines on it. And what it's meant to do is it's meant to uh, indicate to someone who's lading, who's loading up a ship, how much in certain waters, uh, some, some waters are more, are more salty than others. And so it can hold more, the boat can float with more weight, but it says, depending on what ocean you're in and this, that, and the other, this is how much you can load the ship. And if you can still see this line, you're going to be okay. 
And I think a lot of us don't have a correct Plimsoll line for our lives. Um, we either overestimate or underestimate the kind of change we can accept. And for me, mine has been uh, sometimes an overestimation. You know, oh, I guess I'll just go for the muckle. And then I get, I get frustrated and I get, um, you know, I get disappointed along the way. And I get, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What is I get exasperated. And I get exasperated by the change. And I think God goes, hey, I was not expecting you to eat all of that change in one, one bite. But I think also we, we have an underestimation of how much we, change we, can, we can, can accept at a time. And so, yeah, there is a little pain sometimes. But that, if the pain ends up in a good thing, that's great. I just don't think we're, we're good as human beings at getting a, a strong objective bearing on what we can actually uh, take on at a time. And so for me, Mickles help make the muckles. Um, as long as those Mickles are still a little challenging, and I I rarely ran into Mickles that that weren't challenging. Yeah, I still I still struggle to make the bed like 50% of days. So mm. um <laughs> I would say even the things that are quite easy to actually do the repetition and development of the habit still takes some effort so and it's um, interesting it's not just yeah it, i agree and it's not just what am i doing or working towards although i think we default towards that i'm in a season right now to be honest i'm in a season of of uh of, there was an old mel brooks movie called this high anxiety where i've had a lot of anxiety lately and you know what mickles god's been communicating to me slow down don't do that thing over there. But I, but I got to do the, the, no, not that. But just five minutes of not doing that thing. And that's painful, you know, like, oh, but, I, but if I don't do that, I'm going to worry. And I didn't do this. And oh my gosh. No, no. And God's going, I know the mickle for you is not doing something. And so, yeah, it's not, it's not always effort. Sometimes it's non-effort, which actually requires effort. Yeah. I really appreciated it. That's why I wanted to kind of zoom in on this particular piece of the book for this podcast. Um, what, what do you hope for with, with the book or like what's next for, for Jeff Davenport? Is, is this the first of many books that you've got in you? Yeah, it's a big, um, it's a big trilogy. Um, but where it veers off from here is it becomes a lot of uh, Star Trek fan fiction that I'm passionate about. And I think a lot of your listeners are from what I understand. So I think they're going to enjoy uh, some of those relationships coming to life in a whole new way. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I wrote this and I'm happy to, to have it done. Uh, to be honest, I, I have an itch towards fiction right now and I'd like to be writing. I have, I have some ideas for novels, which boy, you say that and everyone's ears perk up and they go, oh, I, boy, I hope everyone writes more novels. But uh, I, I think there's a, I actually think there is uh, some opportunity to write some really, fun, interesting novels that bring to life some godly concepts. I, I think, why, oh gosh, I'm about to say something contra controversial maybe. Uh, why, why should Christian... Wait. Yes, go on. No, you can, you can say it. Oh, is it? Okay. Uh, why should Christian women get all the uh, fiction that seems to appeal directly to them? I think there's a big market for that. I, I actually really dig that idea. If you, if you come out with some solid fiction for Jesus following guys, I can almost guarantee you at least 10 sales, 10 copies sold via the Abraham's wallet. 10 podcast. sales. Well, then it's done. I'm in, I'm done. I'll write them this weekend. Uh, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed writing the book. I enjoy having something 
um, some perspective. I said this in the little the little opening of the book, and and I mean it. Uh, it sounds trite, but I mean it. If if nothing else, if this book lets my daughters know what Daddy thinks about God, then I then I feel pretty good about it. Well, Jeff, I I wanted us to start this podcast out with all the back and forth and kind of the intro to your life, but also the the banter because I think you're incredibly talented as a communicator. I think it comes through when you're speaking and I think it comes through in this book and I think it's going to come through in Christian John Grisham. So um, I'm excited for what you've done and what's coming down the pike for you. Um, I really appreciate you taking time to be on the podcast. Can you tell us if people want to experience everything you're putting out into the world or maybe they even are thinking, I would like to be able to speak like that. How could I find somebody to teach me to do that? Um, who knows? What, what, are you, what are you offering to the world right now? And well, I, th- I think it? the best way to, to, to get what I'm putting out is, is either A, you know, stop by the house, or B, uh, <laughs> www.jeffdav.com, because some jerk real estate agent in Arizona took jeffdavenport.com. So jeffdav.com has all the stuff that you might need. And there's a way to contact me through that. I'd love to strike up a conversation with you about anything. And, you know, uh, just to go a bit back and forth, um, I couldn't be more excited about what's going on at the wallet here. And uh, for you listeners, uh, you may or may not know Mr. Mark or Mr. Steven in person, but boy, these are two remarkable gentlemen. And the the input y'all have both had on my life has been profound. And uh, not just from a here's some things to think about perspective, but really from an encouragement and guidance perspective. Uh, I've appreciated you guys consistently, and I love the voice that you guys have now. It's 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 powerful and good. It's it's worth worth listening to. I'd say. Nice. And if if as a result of this podcast, Jeff sells at least fifty copies of the book, he's going to be willing to give me some free speaker coaching so that this podcast isn't so challenging to listen to for a full episode. So get out there, guys. <laughs> They've made it this far. You must be doing something right, Mark, right? And and you know a lot of these people are listening on one and a half speed. So just talking slower might actually make more sense to them. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeff. It's been real. Thank you for your time and go out and and check it out at jeffdav.com for Abraham's wallet. This is Jeff Davenport and I'm Mark Parrott. We'll catch you next time. Hashtag Esau's coin purse. (laughs) 